Cool. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, like Lynn and said, I'm jumping into the next part of the James series, and it's good to see you back last week. We didn't know how many people would come back after a big cleanup last week, turning up to church. Don't know what uh, might be on the other side of that. But um, it really is a privilege for me to share with you this morning, um, and I don't take the opportunity to share God's Word with you lightly, and it's, it weighs heavy on your heart during the week as you prepare, and God kind of does, um, you know, a bit of a heart check on you, hence the name heart check. Um, but I can vividly remember, um, and my wife will tell you I don't have a great memory, but I can remember back in preschool or kindy or whatever it was, Hearing that saying for the first time, that sticks and stones may break your bones, and, but words will never hurt you. And as a youngster, you hear that and you think, yeah, like, sticks and stones can hurt me, but words, nah, they can't do much. But as life has kind of taught us, and as you mature and get a little bit of wisdom from the hard knocks of life, you learn that actually words do matter, and they do have a capacity to affect us enormously. You see, the damage done by words spoken can go much deeper and last much longer than the damage done by just sticks and stones. Uh, Just two slides forward. Thanks, uh, Quentin. Um, Abraham Lincoln wisely said, I'd rather remain silent and be thought a fool than speak up and remove all doubt. Now, those of you that know my family, you know my wife and I, Tam, she was up here this morning, you will know, if you've spent any time with us, that God has given her considerably more words in a day than he's given me. And I'm okay with that. I don't mind as the introverts of the family having less words in a day. I then had a daughter, and she has even more words than Tam, so now I've got even less words in a day in our household to get in. But I will know, even with the words that I've got and the few words that I use in a day, I don't always use them to bring honor and glory to people. I don't always use them to encourage. I mean, I don't always use them to bring honor and glory to God. Back in James 1.26, where we kind of kicked off the series, James told us that one of the marks of an authentic Christian is one or is someone that has the behavior of being able to control their speech. And it's a pretty difficult thing to do. And where we pick up in James chapter 3 today, we see that James, again, is not going to beat around the bush. He's going to come at us hard, and he's going to give us some um, pretty scary metaphors to work through. So we're going to read through James chapter 3, and then we'll just break it down and go through a couple of things as to what James is trying to teach us. So James chapter 3 starts off with saying, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that those who teach will be judged with greater strictness. And I was just like, oh, thanks, Lyndon. Thanks for (laughs) setting me up to be judged with greater strictness. Appreciate that. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. And we know that nobody is perfect, so he's just kind of setting us up to realize that we can't get this thing right. He's able to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. They are so large and driven by strong winds, and they are guided by a very small rudder, 
wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest fire that is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father and with that same tongue we curse people who are made in the image or the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing my brother, these things ought to not be so. Does a spring pour forth the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. There you have it. I don't even think I have to say anything today. Like, thanks, James. But in order to control our tongues, we actually have to understand them. And like a doctor or a dentist that we hate going to, James is asking us to open up our mouths, stick out our tongues, so he can give us a good examination. The first thing about our tongues that we need to know is that they are powerful. Uh, next slide, thanks Quentin. Um, so our tongues are powerful like the good English teacher that I am not, I don't teach English and I never would be able to. My wife is the English major in our house. But James gives us some really vivid metaphors. Horses and ships. Now there's a couple of reasons I know absolutely nothing about horses. The first is I grew up in like a city city. The second, the little that I do know about horses is that they are ridiculously expensive. Our daughter's just had a cast taken off of her arm because she broke it at the rugby club climbing a wall. So I wouldn't be putting her on a horse. So I'm trying to keep her away from the idea of horses because they're expensive and would probably end up at Starship every couple of weeks. And then thirdly, and this one's probably going to cost me a couple of man points, but I'm petrified of horses. <laughs> Been on them a few times. Seen lots of people fall off horses a lot of times. And I'm just like, no, nah, not for me, thanks. Like, you can ride the horses, I'm out. But what people will tell you that ride horses is that, yeah, they are massive and they are strong. And to me, like a little cat as well, I don't like cats either, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> they are unpredictable. You just never know what they're thinking. But those who ride horses and ride them well will tell you that there's a little metal bit that goes in their mouth and that little bit controls the horse in the way that they move. And this is the picture that James is trying to paint with the metaphor, saying that something so big and majestic and strong can be controlled by something so small. The second illustration that he gives us is that of a ship. Ships are big, rudders are really small. This is one of the biggest ships that there are. It's the U.S. aircraft carrier, the USS Eisenhower. It weighs 91,000 tons, nearly 1,100 feet in length. 
can carry 6,100 men and women on board, as well as 100 aircraft at a time. It's massive. It's like a floating city. Yet this hardware can be steered by a rudder, which is just a tenth of 1% of the size of the actual ship. Just a tenth of 1% that controls that massive ship. Um, in the next slide, you've got a picture of the rudder. That's not actually of that ship. This is of the Titanic. And that's just to give you some reference in terms of the thing that controls the ship. James is saying the same thing about our tongue. It is so small, but it power, is so powerful. And it directs so much of how we live our lives. So number one, our tongues are powerful. The second thing James teaches us is that our tongues are destructive. Sorry, I wanted like the alliteration of PP, but I just couldn't get it. So number one, powerful. Number two, destructive. In, verse chap uh, in chap uh, chapter 3, verse 5, James says, The tongue is a small member, yet it boasts great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by a small fire. Again, if you think back to those Australian bushfires at the back end of 2019, 2020, before that thing that COVID came in 2020 and then everything was a disaster from there, those bushfires were started by something so small, just a small spark. The conditions were right, they were perfect in order for those flames to just go and set ablaze and cause so much damage and so much destruction. And I sat preparing this, I'm like, oh, James, like, I know you were Jesus' half-brother, and I know now you've got to set the bar really high, because you were probably never the favorite child at home. <laughs> oh, but let's be honest, how hard would it be being Jesus' brother? Like, who did that? Well, it wasn't Jesus. <laughs> but then you think, well... It didn't take me more than two minutes to think of a couple of examples where the tongue has caused so much destruction. There's someone in our like, family or friendship circle that when she was 10 years old, her sisters used to tease her about her legs. Like, I don't know, um, used to say she had scrawny legs or whatever it was. Do you know that from the age of 10, she never wore shorts, she never swam, went on to have kids, never swam with her kids, Still to this day, will not wear togs, will not wear shorts, will only wear long pants, and she's in her 60s. Those were just a few careless words that were uttered to her as a young girl, and she lived with that and lives with that for the rest of her luck up until this day. Our words are powerful, our words are destructive. Part of my job at school is I oversee a year level in terms of some of the pastoral care stuff at the college. Um, and we get to work with some kids as they come through our doors as to why they're struggling to come to school attendance-wise, struggles or issues that they're having at school. And I can tell you majority of those cases is the reason why kids end up in our office having a difficult time or not wanting to come to school is because of words that are being spoken to them by other kids. Sometimes not to their faces, sometimes it's behind their backs, sometimes it's on forums like social media and you know these groups or whatever it is that they're part of on I sound so old on these groups. No, come on. On TikTok and Instagram and the gram, sorry, yeah. Losing my street cred here. But the damage, like, 
You're literally having the life sucked out of these children and adults by words that are being spoken that cause so much damage. And sometimes it's careless and sometimes you don't even think of the damage that it's doing. But kids are sitting with this stuff and it's weighing heavy on them and it's having massive repercussions or consequences. So yeah, I don't think James is being over the top. You see, the tongue is the one muscle that in our bodies we do not fail to exercise. The last two weeks have been a shocker. We normally go to gym in the morning and I think the last two weeks we managed like two mornings. But man, our tongue gets a workout every single day. Fire spreading out, sparks constantly flying out of our mouth. Maybe it's just a bit of innuendo. Maybe that comment taken a step too far. Maybe it's a harsh word to our parents or a harsh word to our spouse or a friend. Maybe it's just a little comment that takes someone down to lift you up. Maybe it's just that little bit of gossip that you heard, passing it on just through the grapevine to the right person. Maybe it's that little bit of exaggeration that you add to your story just to make yourself sound a little bit better or make the story sound a little bit cooler. All of that's coming from our tongue, and it's a small spark. And James says it's just uttered carelessly, but the repercussions or destruction can be massive. You think of careers that have ended because of a couple of words spoken. Marriages come to a halt. Conflicts started. And like that first example, decades of self-loathing, living with these things, of words that were spoken to you or to me or to them at some point in your life where those words sit with you. Our tongues are powerful, James tells us. Our tongues are destructive. And thirdly, our tongues are uncontrollable. Humans have trained elephants. We've made dolphins do tricks at the aquarium. We have got carrot, not carrots, parrots to sing karaoke. Got our, trained our dogs to bring us our slippers. And even, again, good old Tiger King tamed some tigers. And, but you know what James tells us we can't control? He says you can't control everything because he tells us that we can't control our tongue. It's restless evil, he says. So if you sit here this morning thinking, oh, I can be better here. I just need to try a little bit harder in what I say. I can get on top of it. You're naive and you're just kidding yourself. James is wanting us to get the harsh reality of what he's saying. We need to grasp this or we will misunderstand what he's saying. He's not outlining some kind of program to help us master our tongues. Seven steps to flawlessly controlled speech. Okay. His aim is precisely the opposite. He wants to show us that we can't do this on our own. This is not something that we can get on top of. It's not something that we can control or tame. We can't do it in our human capacity. Discouraging as this might be, it shouldn't surprise us because we all know that the tongue is out of our control is because the tongue is just an outflow of our hearts. The tongue is powerful, the tongue is destructive, and the tongue is uncontrollable. 
feeling encouraged, right? Yeah. yeah, whoa. Thanks, Craig. Awesome job. The sun's finally shining on the weekend, and here you are bringing us back down. It's James, not me. But there is a remedy, and there is a solution. And the solution is not just to zip our lips and try not to talk and to let the days go by, because we know that that's not possible. At least I know in my household that's not possible. The solution is we need to bend our knees. James later goes on in chapter 4 to say something quite harsh, and I'm not going to go or delve into that too much because we will pick it up later on in, James's, or in this James series. But he says, if you want to be friends of the world, you show hatred to God or you become an enemy of God. Choosing the world or choosing him. And what James is saying is that if we want to raise ourselves up with what we say, and if that comes at the cost of bringing other people down, then we are choosing to be friends of the world. And if we're choosing to be friends of the world, we're making a choice to be enemies of God. See, God opposes the proud and he gives grace to the humble. And I'm sure most of us sitting here this morning will know or have heard that scripture somewhere. Oh yeah, he opposes the proud and he gives grace to the humble. So often what comes out of our mouths is pride when we're trying to bring other people down in order to lift ourselves up. That's pride and that's not humility. See, it just takes a few words to end a marriage or to bring conflict to someone else or to bring someone else down or to create a division. But the good news this morning, and I promise I'm shifting gears, the good news this morning is God has a lot of grace for you. He has a lot of grace for you. He has a lot of grace for me. He has a lot of grace for us. Isn't that good news? He has so much grace for us this morning, Maharangi Vineyard. He says, I will come into those areas of your life and I will work and I will fix and I will get in there. This is the process of being filled by the Holy Spirit. Crucifying the flesh and letting the Holy Spirit make us more like Jesus. Galatians chapter 5 is walk by the Spirit. I'm sure you've all seen this before. But I'm going to read it. It's really good in terms of direction and how we get a grip on our tongue and actually ultimately our hearts. It says, But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of flesh. For the desires of flesh are against the Spirit and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For those two are opposed to each other. The Spirit and the flesh are a loggerhead. The way of the world and the way of God and they are up against each other. And what we need is a filling of the Spirit so that we can lay down the things of this world in order to be more like God by allowing Him to fill us with the Spirit. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of flesh are evident, and you'll see a couple of those sins will be relevant to the tongue. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensationality, sorry, Idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, and divisions. How many of those are just outworkings of our mouths and things that we say? 
envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things alike, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruits of the Spirit, and again, these things are things that can come from our mouths, are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh, given up the flesh with the passions and its desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, again, provoking one another and envying one another. You see, the tongue can cause so much destruction, but if we are filled with the Spirit, the tongue can bring so much life. So who can tame the tongue? Who can tame the tongue? The answer is the Holy Spirit can tame the tongue. And it's not just going to be once off, a quick fix, pray one prayer and our tongue is solved and we're never going to say a bad word. Or It's hard work. It's going to be tough. It's going to be continually getting on your knee and asking God to fill you with the Spirit and to help you be better in that area and to bring them in and to bring mates in and to pray with people and to share with people or your spouse when you've, had it, when you've got it wrong. It's like, again, like you're training for a marathon or you, you know, training in the gym. It's going to be hard, but it's going to be rewarding. But it's a process. It's a step. It's day by day, bit by bit. The question that I want to ask you this morning in light of this, is God enough for you? Because we've learned this morning that the tongue can be very deceitful. We can stand here this morning during worship and say, He is King of kings and Lord of lords, or I'm a son and daughter. But do you believe that in your hearts this morning, Maharangi Vineyard? Because if you genuinely believe that God is enough, and that you prepare to bend your knees and walk side by side with the maker of the universe. Because if you believe him, do you know what God says about you? He says you're awesome. Do you believe that he says you're awesome? If you do, you don't need to bring that person down to lift you up. Like we sang this morning, he's a good father and in him we find our identity. If we genuinely believe that in our hearts, our words will bring way more life than destruction. It says in the scriptures that if you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, that he might exalt you at the proper time. So again, if we believe that we are his sons and his daughters, we do not need to exalt ourselves. We don't need to pass on that juicy gossip. We don't need to exaggerate our stories. Why? Because at the proper time, he will exalt us. He knows. We don't need to exalt ourselves. We don't need to raise ourselves up on a platform. I don't need to tell everybody everything that I know. Because I have a relationship with the King of Kings. And you know what? He is enough. Because he says I'm good enough. Not because I'm actually good enough, but because I'm his son or his daughter. So this leads us to one practical question or one little thing that I want to give you to walk away with today. And uh, as I normally do when I preach 
when I get the opportunity to do this, I have to do my test run on my wife. And as I was doing it and I had my version, she had a better version, I said, oh, I've got this thing. And I told her and she's like, oh, I used to put this up in my class when I was a preschool teacher. And uh, it used to help the three and four-year-olds get it. So I'm like, well, if it could help the three and four-year-olds get it, so hopefully it can help us get it, right? But before you speak, you've got to think, is it true? Is it necessary? Is it kind? Those are some of the filters that we've got to bring into our life when we think about how we speak and when we speak. If we let the Spirit of God guide us, we can use this filter and it will help us in the way that we engage with others. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 29 says, sorry, next one, Quentin, thank you. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such that is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. When it says do not grieve the Holy Spirit, it's saying don't get in loggerheads with the Holy Spirit. Use your words to build others up and use those words to encourage. Take all your bitterness and wrath and anger and slander and put it away. All those negative things that we use our mouths for, put it away. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as Christ forgave us. Again, we had a loggerhead. We can use our words for destruction or we can use our words for good and building up and being kind. But we need the Spirit for that because James tells us we cannot control our tongues. So again, we can't sit here and think, oh yeah, I'll just do that because it's easy because it's not. We know it's not. We've lived in our bodies for long enough. We've heard some of the things we've said enough times. We've all sat with that. Oh, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> The second thing that we can do through this filter, and these are just the two kind of parting points, is it true, is it necessary, is it kind? And the second thing is, we actually need to train ourselves and get into the habit of publicly, publicly and privately encouraging people. Encourage people in public. If you're standing in a group of people and you encourage someone, it's really hard to then go later on in the day and tear that person down. Because you've done it in a public forum where you've actually built someone up doesn't always have to be in public. There are so many platforms that we can encourage one another. Sending a text, phoning someone up, standing in a circle and saying, hey, that thing that you're doing is really awesome. Or that job that you did, that was incredible. Or whatever it is, whatever encouragement that you've got. The word encourage or encouragement literally means putting courage in. So to discourage is to take courage out. We would have all felt discouraged by words. People literally taking courage out of us. Encouragement, that's pouring courage into people. I know um, I use my wife a lot in these illustrations, but she is, unfortunately enough, married to someone whose love language is words of affirmation. I just need to know all the time how good I am. I'm like, please, just a little bit more. Oh, yeah, that thing that I did love, what did you think? Yeah, you're awesome. Oh, thank you. And I think she got quite happy at some stage because uh, friends of ours that did our pre-marriage counseling said, actually, over years, your love language can change. 
You know, as you've been married for a bit, it kind of changes, maybe less physical touch or what, whatever it might be. Um, and once you have kids, then sometimes it changes, more acts of service. We did our love language test again probably a year or so ago. And words of affirmation is still my number one. And she was like, gosh, it's going to be a lifelong thing of giving you words of affirmation, right? But I know because of that how encouraging it is or how affirming it is when people encourage. Because it just fills my tank. And I know that might not be everybody's story, but I don't think there's anyone that sits in this room that doesn't like hearing something positive being said about them. It fills my tank and it's like, oh, that's really cool. That really fills me up. And again, we have the opportunity to use our mouths and our tongues to do that. We get an opportunity to speak life into people. We have an opportunity to just tell them, hey, you're doing a good job. It might not look like you have it all together. You might be struggling there, but actually you're doing a really good job. And you might not see that, but I want you to know that I see it. Our tongues are powerful and they are destructive, but man, the power of the Spirit, it's a gift. It's a gift that God gives us and says, you just got to ask and you just got to pray and you've got to spend time and you've got to go through the sanctification process of being less like me and more like Him. So I'm going to ask the band to make their way up as we're going to sing a song as, we, as I give you an opportunity to respond to this morning. So he tells us and says, get a filling of the Holy Spirit. An opportunity this morning is as we stand and sing this last song, I encourage you to just say, lift your hands up and say, God, please fill me with your Spirit. Maybe for the first time, maybe for the hundredth time. But he openly and willingly gives his Spirit. So during this worship song, if all you do is just say, God, give you more of me and less of me as you head into a new week, that's one response. As Lyndon came up and kind of shared just before the end, I, I wasn't sure I was going to do this or say this. I was just like, oh God, is that me? Is it not me? I'm not sure. Um, and Lyndon said kind of that barrier of do not go beyond I got a real sense of the Spirit this week that there'll be people in this room that would have had things said to them over time that have made them feel discouraged in who they are. And that's led you potentially to a point where actually the person that's speaking down on you the most is yourself. You just have no pride in, or I don't know if it's pride, but you just... You just see yourself in a really negative light. And what I want this morning is that barrier that Lyndon was talking about. I want you to go there. And the reason I want you to go there, and we're going to sing Good, Good Father. Thank you, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> and we're going to sing Good, Good Father. Is that I want you to know this morning that you find your identity in Him. And you know what He says about you? He says you are loved. He says, I love you. I care for you. I came down to earth to die on a cross for you. You are good enough. You are valued. I do love you. And whatever those negative words that have been spoken to you, whatever it is that might have been 
brought you to a point where you just don't have any self-belief. I want you to do business with God this morning because He does not see you in that light. He does not see you as someone that is not good enough. He sees you as His son. He sees you as His daughter. He loves you. He cares for you. He values you so much. And if that's you this morning and you actually want some prayer, I would love to pray for you. I would be honored to pray for you if that's you. If you're just struggling with your image and what it is or how you think people see you or how God sees you, I'll be up in the front. There'll be others up that would also be love to pray for you. But I just invite you to take that step to go past that barrier that Lyndon said this morning where you just didn't want to go there. You might be sitting there in the edge of your seat thinking, I don't want to go there. Like, I'm fine. I'm okay. Like, I don't like myself very much, but I'm okay with that. I'm not okay with that, and he's not okay with that. He wants to do business with you. He loves you. So if that is you, please feel free to come up as we sing this song. I would love to pray for you or pray with you, and so with some others that are here this morning.